Let's just pray before we come to the Word of God. Father, we want to thank you for your faithfulness and the way you speak to us. We thank you, Lord, that you are alive and that you are not a dumb or mute or deaf God, but you are a God who hears, a God who speaks, a God who understands, who feels, and who has an interest in every detail of our lives. We thank you. We ask now as we come to your word that you would penetrate our hearts with a power and with a depth that will cause us to realign who we are and what we do and what we're all about with your purposes. And I pray this in your son's Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. We are three different congregations that have been walking together for over two years now as one. Before that, we were two congregations that were walking together as one. And a good brotherly and friendly relationship between Rob and I and the extended Acts family. And then they moved in here. Acts moved in here for a period. They moved in here for a period. Oops. Uh, And then between all of that, the Lord somehow took the two and made them three. And we're still trying to figure all that means and how that means. But there is something that the Lord has been speaking to us about over this whole thing. And has it's been really the fulfillment and the desire that we would walk out. Hmm. Okay, you can't see what I'm talking about because it's not behind me. Uh, the fulfillment and the desire to walk this out. This out. Oh, boy. Okay, anyway, to walk out John 17. There it is. Okay. This is something that has been heavy on my heart for a very, very long time. I would say it was 1998 that the Lord, uh, at a youth conference in Niagara Falls, New York, I was attending a uh, youth leaders meeting at this youth conference, and the speaker got up and said, I want to speak to you about the unanswered prayer of Jesus. We believe that Jesus is our high priest. He sits at the right hand of the Father and prays for us. He is the Son of God, or in a better way of putting it, He is God in human form as God the Son. We can talk about that a lot longer, but I don't want to focus on that today. I want to focus on the fact that he is our high priest. And as our high priest, every prayer he would pray, I would want to know that my high priest is heard by God and is answered by God. What good is a high priest who has one prayer unanswered? That means that the potential for many prayers to go unanswered exists. If he doesn't know how to pray according to the mind and the heart of God, One prayer that's unanswered disqualifies him from being the perfect high priest. Perfect in that he represents humanity before God and represents God to humanity. And he's able to be that bridge in between that makes sure that everything that he prays for is according to the mind and heart of God and is fulfilled. That's just foundations as far as who our high priest is. 
In Hebrews, he talks about the fact that he is higher than, than uh, the priesthood of Aaron. And I don't mean Aaron on the guitar. I mean Aaron, the high priest, who was the first high priest of Israel. When he was representing God to Israel, his prayers weren't always answered. There were some prayers that he would pray that God would simply say, not yet. And it took a long time. And some prayers never got answered. But this high priest of ours, this Jesus, hears every one of our prayers even before we know that we need to pray them. I don't know what you have come today with, but each one of us has stuff. Each one of us has pains. Physical pains, emotional pains, natural pains, all kinds of pains that we deal with. And God knows our pain before we even express a desire for him to interfere or interject himself into those situations. And Jesus is already praying for us. Whether we are children of God by new birth, whether we are Christians, Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim, it doesn't matter. We are all his creation and he is interested in each one of us to the depths that we can't imagine. He wants to step into each one of our situations and he wants to bring his life, his peace, his joy, his salvation, his healing. He wants to bring all of that into our situation. And sometimes the situations that we find ourselves in force us to look up to him. Sometimes the pain of the situation is such that we have to look up to him. Sometimes the pain isn't there yet. But somehow, because of our backgrounds, we know to seek God. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus is there to agree with us, with our desire, with our need, with our situation. He knows the perfect situations and, or the, the situation's perfect answer. And he's already praying it to God the Father, his own Father. And as the high priest, my desire, and what the scripture tells us, is that he is always heard, he is always answered, and he is always efficient in how he prays. So I don't know what your need is today. But just say, yes, Jesus, I agree with your solution. Can you say that? Yes, Jesus, I agree with your solution. That begins to posture your heart to alignment. To alignment with him. To alignment with his purpose. To alignment of what he's using this negative situation for good. How he's going to use it for good. Because situations in life aren't good. There are many things that we experience that are good. But there are many things that we experience that are not good. But God wants to step into those things. He may not always turn them around, but he will be able to always use them for good. Because situations aren't only up to us. We don't determine the outcome of every situation because there's many other people around us. And those people play an active role. In the same way we play an active role in other people's lives. We can mess things up for somebody. Have you ever done that? Am I the only one? Have you ever messed up something big in someone's life? That it's cost them. As children, I'm sure we all have done things that have hurt our parents. In the same way that our parents have done things that have hurt us. It's a two-way street. 
But the Lord is wanting to step into those situations and turn those hurts into strengths and into good things that will cause us from this point forward to shift so that the negative that we have inherited would translate into positive for us and for the next generations. So when he is praying this prayer in John 17, this is the last recorded prayer before he went to the cross. In John 17, if you read John 17 as a whole, you get to see the heart of Jesus. You see his desire. You see his understanding of why he came to earth. What his purpose in life was. And in in this prayer, he prays for his 12 disciples. But he also says, I don't pray for these alone. I pray but for also for those who will believe in me through their word. In other words, we today, how many here have a Bible? How many have a Bible on their phone? Okay, so you're not texting. You're reading your Bible. Okay, fine. All right. So on a church, when you're using your phone, the assumption is you're using your phone to read the Bible, not to text. But you could be texting, I guess, sometimes. We all do. But anyway, that's a different conversation. But when you're using your Bible, whether it's a paper Bible or electronic Bible, that Bible has recorded in it the word of these 12 disciples. And they have shared it from one person to the other. And this is something that we call, forget the words, I was going to say the word apostolic succession. That there is a chain of messaging that has gone on from the 12 that were with Jesus to this day. There are people that have taken this message of Jesus and have passed it from one generation to the next. And today, 2,000 some years later, we have inherited these words from those original 12 that were with Jesus through many hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people that have stood in between. And today we have the word of God. We have the words of Jesus. And this message that he brings to us, he says that they may be one. So in 1998, when the Lord started to speak to me about this verse, and it was the unanswered prayer of Jesus that someone called it, something rose up in me and says, no, 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 that prayer is not unanswered. That prayer is answered. You just don't live it. That prayer is answered. You just don't live it. So what is the prayer? The prayer is, I pray for them that they may be one. How? What kind of oneness? As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us and that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. So everything that I understood from that passage was about the fact that Jesus prayed that the enemy would be stay, stayed away from the church so that we would be one. And that translated into something in my mind and in my heart and in my spirit to the degree of my understanding. It translated into the word unity. Right? Okay. So it translated into the word unity. But there's something that I missed. There's something that many of us have missed. You're going to tell me I'm playing with words. I'm not playing with words. This has hit me really, really big. There is a difference between unity and oneness. And that's what Jesus was praying for. That we would be one. Let me tell you why I believe those two words are different. 
if we look at this picture here, this divide, the, the, this displays the idea of two people going different directions. So, this is what it reminded me of. When Jesus was talking to the disciples, and he said to them these words, Every kingdom divided against itself, or, is, sorry, is laid waste. What is laid waste? means it's destroyed. Right? So a kingdom, or a nation, and he said these words to them when they were accusing him of being associated with Satan. Because he was casting demons out of people. You know, shitans, he was casting demons out of people. And they were looking at that and they saw the people now totally set free. And they said, ah, he's doing it by the power of the great devil himself, Beelzebub. And he said, how can I, as, if I'm Beelzebub's agent, how can I cast out his other agents? That would be a kingdom divided. But that kingdom is not divided. It hasn't been destroyed yet, but it will, because it will be divided. Someday it will manifest its division. But anyway, he said, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. So when I look at this verse and I recognize that what he's saying is in a family, in our relationships, in our companies, in our families, in our cities, in our nations, if we're pointing in the different directions and our purposes are not aligned, we're not going to survive. A couple finds one another. A boy and a girl meet. They start talking. They find that they have a lot of things in common. They find that they have similar values. They become interested in one another. There's an attraction, but besides the attraction, the attraction may be a physical attraction, it may be an emotional attraction, but there's something that goes beyond the attraction when they begin to discover that they have similar purposes in life and their values and their dreams begin to not be separated like this, but begin to walk this way. Come on. All of a sudden, they realize that, hey, we're going in the same direction. We're united in our purposes. So when we started the journey here with the two churches, we recognized that, hey, wait a minute. We can actually function better because we're functioning in the same direction. And actually, the whole church should be functioning in the same direction. So when Acts Christian Fellowship came and started to talk to the well on Bayview, and realized, we realized that there's something that the Lord is doing here at the congregational level that is bringing alignment among us, we realized that the Lord was calling us into a place of walking together in unity. But lately, we've been using the words... As one. Have you noticed that? We're three congregations working together as one. Have you noticed that? The Lord has been seeding this idea and we didn't even clue into it that he is showing us and teaching us that as churches, we're learning to walk together in oneness. Because we've already resolved the issue of unity. So when this boy and this girl realize what's going on and they begin to talk about, hey, listen, do you have plans long-term for this relationship? What do you mean? Well, uh, 
It's been so long for me and Silva that I don't remember the conversation. So I'm making all this up really, really poorly. But some of you are in this stage where you're beginning to talk about these things with your significant other person. And you're beginning to wonder, is this marriage that we're seeing? Is this a family that we're seeing? You're doing everything together as it is. So you're walking in unity. But there's something else that happens that brings us to this phase here. Where we begin to actually... And that's why when Paul is writing, or, or the, the, in the first few chapters of Genesis, when we read this thing, he says, he puts it this way. Where am I? It's for this reason that a man should leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Unity exists in a family. It has to. The house has to be undivided. It has to be united. But there's a oneness that only exists between the husband and the wife. You don't have the same oneness with the kids. You have unity with the kids. Because someday your son or your daughter will leave the house and they'll be united to their husband or wife And they will form a new one out of oneness as the two of them become one flesh. And the enemy has been attacking this idea from the beginning of time because this idea of humans coming together and becoming one is so powerful. He wants to use it for evil, but God intends it for good and it's his plan for the success of every human experience. Your oneness at home is critical to your health, to your finances, to your family's welfare. Your oneness within your business is critical for the success of the business. What is oneness then versus unity? Unity is a function of what we do together. And it's necessary for us to get to oneness. Unity on the spectrum of divided, united, one. Unity is the bridge that gets us from the place of being divided and scattered, pointing in different directions, to the place where we're beginning to flow together as one river that is coming from many streams. So what God has been doing with us as a church is a prototype or a picture of what he wants to do with us individually in every aspect of our lives. How are you functioning at home? What is the relationship like between you and your spouse, between you and your children? Are you divided? Are you pointing in different directions? Or is the Lord's word functioning in your life to the degree that it's bringing alignment so that the river is flowing together in your home? What about your workplace? What about... You and your spouse, if you're married. Are you aligned together? Are you walking in unity? Because that walk in unity should have been the experience of what you have brought into this relationship in the period before your marriage, so that when you come to the day of your marriage, you and your spouse enter into oneness, not just physically. A few weeks ago, I was eating cheese. 
How many love cheese? All right. How many love strong cheese? All right. How many love strong Italian cheese? Ooh. How many love strong Italian cheese with a thick outer coat that is so thick? You know the type? It's not, I'm not talking wax. I'm talking cheese that's dried up on the outside. Yeah, it's like leather. Have you ever had that? I'm talking like, I'm talking very, very, like about a quarter inch thick, very hard leather. And I was just enjoying it and chewing on it and chewing on it and chewing on it. And all of a sudden I realized, ooh, there's some sand in it. And I didn't realize until maybe five, ten minutes later that I actually broke a tooth. And I was chewing my tooth as I was chewing the cheese. It was that strong a cheese, I'm telling you. It was a ridiculously strong cheese. I'm sorry for the graphic picture, but anyway. You need to chew on that. Yes, Salpi, thank you. Anyway, I couldn't digest it. I had to spit it out. <laughs> but anyway, I find out two days later, Silva comes to me, I think I broke a tooth. I said, what? She says, I think I broke a tooth. We discovered that our oneness <laughs> manifests itself in weird ways because we broke the exact same molar in exactly the same spot. Oh, come on. Come on. Who fixed it? Yes. So we went to the dentist. Now, we broke it two days apart. Okay, I broke mine, and then she broke hers two days later. She had, I don't think she even knew that I broke. I think she, you did? I don't remember. But we got them fixed two days apart. She got hers fixed first. So I sort of sandwiched it at the beginning of the end. It's cheesy, I know. But anyway, I think you're getting the pun. Okay. Anyway, so we went to Matt. Matt is, where, where are you, Rita? I heard your voice, but I can't. Oh, there. <laughs> Matt is Rita's brother-in-law. And he is such an amazing dentist. If you don't have a dentist, I recommend him. His, he has very soft touch. Seriously, you don't feel anything. Anyway, he fixed both our teeth, and we're back at it, you know. But all of a sudden, it hit me. This oneness manifests itself in different ways. It's not just a physical oneness. When we're fasting, and you've heard this before, when Silva and I are in a fast, especially in a long fast, a 40-day fast, for example, and when we're in that zone, and we know that we can't do that 40 days without your prayers, and the prayers of those that are interceding for us. And it gets easy. After two, three days, it's really, really easy. Not really, but easy enough. But we find that as we move into it, day five, day six, day seven, we're beginning to think the same thoughts. We're beginning to sense the same things in the spirit. And we're aligned in how we function, not only in alignment, because we're aligned throughout I mean, we have bumps and, and conflicts and things like that, like every other couple. But as we're moving forward, this alignment manifests itself in the spirit in different ways. And it's not just a physical thing. It's an entire soul, body, mind, spirit alignment. And that's what oneness is. God was not one from the beginning because of a purpose. But he, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the three portions of God, if you will, the three persons of God are united, but yet they're also one. What's the difference between unity and, and uh, oneness? I'm not talking about the, the mystical. I'm talking about the practical. In unity, we align based on function or project or objective or task. 
But oneness is our essence. That's why I said this prayer has been answered from the beginning. We just haven't experienced it. When we have been baptized as Christians, we are all baptized into one body. We have become one with one another. That oneness manifests itself in so many wonderful ways. In Philippians, Paul tells the church in Philippi, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love. Now he is writing this from jail, in chains. And he's writing it to the believers in Philippi and he's telling them, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion, any sympathy, make my joy complete in this way. If you guys love me and you're praying for me in my chains while I'm in prison, do this. Be of the same mind. Having the same love. Being in full accord and of one mind. Oneness only comes not when we agree on everything, but when we bring all our thoughts together, all our feelings together, and honestly share them with one another. Recognizing and honoring one another. Respecting one another's views. Because the will of God is hidden within everything that we carry together. And it's not given to any one person. Whether it's in your family. Whether it's in your business. Whether it's in the church. Whether it's in a nation. Right now we're preparing for a gathering in Ottawa. I told you about this in August. The gathering is called As One. And it's come together... A number of different ministries have come together. The way that they do ministry is very different from one another. Some are very public in the front battling against key things that the nation needs to repent of. Whether it's this issue or that issue. Others are more behind the scenes functioning at a high level in the spirit. Where they're dealing with things in powers and principalities and prayer but not touching anything on the ground. And these two can sometimes be a problem for one another. Aligning together can become a problem for one or the other. So we're beginning to learn how to function as one. And the only way we can do it is by opening our hearts to one another. So in your relationships, it's no different. In your home, you are two different adults as a married couple. As a single person living at home, it's a little bit easier. But sometimes you even have the conflicts internally. If you're a single person, you need to hear all your thoughts. Because God has given you both sides, right? And within that individual, we need to be one. We need to be integral. Not only we need to be united internally, but we need to have that oneness of bringing together all the wisdom that the Lord has given us, laying it on the table. And sometimes you assess, should I buy this property or not? Should I sell this property or not? Should I think about this person or not? Should I sell? Should I buy? Should I move? Should I stay? All of these thoughts need to be brought on the surface and you need to assess them and give space for each of them and weigh them in the same way in a family, it's the same kind of discussion. It's the same thing in the church. So valuing every element. If my mind is happy sitting and my head is happy sitting in the shade, but there's a campfire and my feet are too close to it, but I'm happy because I'm getting the warmth up here. But if my feet are too close to the fire, and if I don't pay attention to what my feet are telling me as a signal, I will burn. And my whole body will suffer. We're united. But my foot is burning. 
we need to take all those elements into account. Oneness, the best example of oneness that we have in all of humanity, in all of history, is marriage. And it's a covenant relationship where the two bring their whole into it and they lay everything down and they learn to walk together as one. Where, as Paul says here, he goes on, he says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. That deals with the issue of who's the head. Whether it's in a family, in a church, in a business, I'm the president of the company. It's my decision. Well, listen to the rest. But in lowliness of mind, let each, that should be esteem, others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also the interest of the others. So if I'm looking at the situation in my home and Silva is feeling something and I don't pay attention to it, we're not walking in oneness. She may agree to say, yeah, whatever you decide, I'm happy with. We're walking in unity. But I haven't brought oneness out. I haven't experienced oneness because I've been too arrogant to hear what she's saying. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and becoming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. What is Paul saying to them? A lot of words that simply mean this. Don't think of yourself so highly. The one who was the highest humbled himself and became low. So in all our relationships, we lay it down. We listen. We hear together. We feel together. So we've gone, as a church now, we've gone from the two to the three, and the Lord is bringing us to the place of beginning to walk as one where the thoughts, the mind, and the heart of all three congregations are beginning to align and we're beginning to experience a deep love for one another. And in oneness, we're going to see what the Lord has ahead. But this doesn't end at the church level. It translates down to the micro of me, myself, and I. That's the three of me. Me and my wife. Me and my kids. Me and my extended family. Me and my business. Me me and my congregation. All of it. It's the same principle. How we walk is critical. So I pray that this word penetrates deep into each one of our hearts and begins to guide us as we walk out this journey together. And I guarantee you that we're not going to always get it straight. We're not going to always do it right. We're going to make mistakes. Some of you are familiar with some of these mistakes because you've made them as well in your home. You've said the wrong thing, you've yelled the wrong way, you've looked the wrong way, you've acted the wrong way. We've all have done that. But we're all walking this journey together, trying to figure it out together. So in a river, you notice that the water is not always flowing straight. Sometimes, and it's the most exciting time if you're a kayaker, sometimes the water is white. It's not just smooth like glass. It's white, and there's a lot of turbulence, a lot of excitement, but it's moving fast. So the faster we move, expect that there's going to be some turbulence. And with the turbulence, the water actually goes backwards and comes back, goes backwards and comes back. But it's all moving in the same direction. Even with the bumps and the the bubbles and everything else, the spray and everything else, there are times in our lives, and some of your lives right now look like the rapids, where the waters are just spraying all over the place. Some of them are just moving like silk. 
We will experience both in this life. But the key is don't give up. If you're in turbulence, grab somebody else's arm and lock in. Don't walk this out alone. God has good things ahead for us. And one of those good things is a picnic with great food and great sunshine. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we thank you that your word is alive. We thank you that you are one in your essence. You are one, and yet you are united. There's nothing divided about you. You are one in all you are. And you have asked us to step into the same thing with you. So, Father, thank you for expanding our hearts and expanding our understanding. Thank you for expanding our desire to be as you are. That we would experience oneness in all our relationships. Father, where those relationships are not founded on truth, correct it. Align it. Father, you are invited into all our beings. We invite you now to touch every one of our relationships, that you would guide us in truth and in light, because, Lord, your word says that you are light, and in you there is no darkness at all. You are the way, the truth, and the life. So, Father, I pray for every household that's represented in this place, that your oneness would continue to grow irrespective of the context in this situation. In the midst of pain, may your oneness bring healing. In the midst of confusion, may your oneness bring clarity. Lord, may your presence dwell among us in such awesome, visible, tangible power that just like little beads of metal, we would align and we would come into the right formation together and with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. And now as we head out of here, Lord, guide us to this uh, picnic site in safety. Give us a great time. Knit us together in heart and in oneness in all that you have in store for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.